0: All right, Exodus chapter 32, here we go. Uh, We're going to jump in there in a second. got an interesting story, kind of back into narrative, which is fun. But I'm going to start with this. Um, Everybody kind of lives with this feeling that they know what's best for their lives. Everybody kind of has it figured out. Like, I know how this should be going. Like, I know what should be taking place here. I get it. I know where we should be headed, how we should be doing it. And you run into situations like this where you're pretty certain where you know the answer to the question. And I'm a pastor, so maybe I think about this uh, more than some, but I run into circumstances in life where it's just so clear to me what needs to happen. I was just in well not just recently but lots of times I'm in hospitals with people who are hurting or struggling or or don't know what's going on it's just so uncertain and I'm like I know what needs to happen lord you need to heal some people you need to fix this you need to make this better like there's no nobody wants their pastor to come in like hey god if suffering's part of your plan then make it hurt right like nobody's you you won't get invited to many hospital visits if that's your prayer right <laughs> so it just is like this clear clear as day, like, this is what needs to happen. And, and we all think we know that in certain circumstances, right? Uh, I think about that with revival. We just sang about it. Like, how could it not be God's plan to revive his church, to light his church on fire, to, like, change hearts and lives and minds and, and just let that burn through the city? And, and how could that not be God's plan? Like, what's the downside of that? And yet... We've lived through revival in this country and it's not still burning. In fact, you know, if you've watched the Jesus Revolution movie, that was not that long ago, like several decades ago. But people who lived through that are still alive and things are not still on fire like the way they used to be. So it didn't fix everything for them. It wasn't like they just like floated through life on magic pixie dust the rest of their lives and nothing ever struggled or made it hard and they just like were the most on fire people for Jesus until the day they died. Like they went through revival, they experienced it. And actually I run into a lot of them in Spokane and I'm like, hey, how's it going? No, you're a Calvary Chapel? Yeah, we were in the Jesus People movement. Really? You were? That's incredible. Yeah, we just haven't been able to find a church since we came to Spokane. What? That's amazing. Like, how long have you been in Spokane? Let's see, 93? I'm like, what? <laughs> 93? It happens literally twice a year. That happens to me. So, what is that? How, how can we live through something that amazing? And it doesn't, because in my mind, I'm like, that would fix it, God. Like, if we just saw that, if we watched revival, if we watched miracles, if we watched undeniable presence of God in our lives, how could that not light us on fire for Jesus for the rest of our days? Well, the problem is human history doesn't line up with what I think in my mind would be the result of the things I think God should do. God does miracles all the time. People encounter the miraculous. God answers their prayers, and it doesn't lead to lasting change. Over and over and over again, I've seen people in my own life, right? God answers a prayer, and then somebody has to remind me a year later that God answered my prayer. Like, weren't you, like, really praying hard for that thing? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like God totally fixed that. He totally came through when I asked him. I totally forgot about that. It's everybody. We do this all the time. And we're in the book of Exodus, and this is happening to these people as we speak They're watching God come through over and over and over and answer their prayers in undeniable ways. And then they're still not going to be the best God following people that have ever walked the face of the earth. They're still going to do, like we said at the very beginning of this message, what they feel like doing, what makes sense to them. They're going to answer the questions and solve the problems in the way that makes sense to them we just, just to remind you where we've come from, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus. The people of God so far in this book have seen God do 10 plagues on the land of Egypt. He split the Red Sea for them to walk across. He laid, he's been leading them by fire at night, cloud by day. He provided manna on the ground. So they've been waking up every morning, just gathering manna off of the ground. Water came out of the rock, like, Currently, in chapter 32, where we're at now, God is on top of Mount Sinai with a cloud and smoke and fire. Don't know exactly what that's about, but they can see it, and it's terrifying to them. So this is happening on top of Mount Sinai. And on everything, on top of everything else, Right? the fact that they are even still alive and free people out in the desert is just undeniably God. There's no other explanation for it. They were in the, slaves in the most powerful nation on the world and now they're just free in the desert worshiping their God. And that's because of Yahweh. That's it. There's no other explanation for that. So if you remember the account in chapter 24 before we kind of went on this tabernacle journey, uh, Moses was called up the mountain by God. It was the seventh time up the mountain. So Moses goes up the mountain the last time. And while he's up there, God gives him instructions for this tent that we know as the tabernacle, where he is going to meet with his people as a sign of him dwelling among his people. So that's been the last six chapters, uh, is chapter 25, 26, 27. Anyway, so we are in chapter 32. I'm going to read this whole story. I know it's long. Hang with me. Take whatever, like mental note of like, I got to pay attention for a lot of verses right now, and we're going to be fine. We're all almost adults. We're going to make it. Here we go. Chapter 32, starting in verse one. I'm going to read the whole story because I think it'll make more sense if you get a snapshot of what's going on. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and burnt and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. This is almost like when your, your kid dis, disobeys and you're like, It's your your daughter right to your wife or something like that the lords to moses your people that you brought no so anyway verse 8 they have turned aside quickly out of the way that i commanded them they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said these are your gods O israel who brought you up out of the land of egypt and the lord said to moses i have seen this people and behold it is a stiff-necked people Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that that I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as the, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever." and the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back that were written. And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil, for they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. There's like, a 16-year-old boy here that's like, that's not funny, that could happen, right? <laughs> and when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the sons of Levi, oh, and he said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, sorry, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you shall kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor, verse 28. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people of Israel fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. And the next day the Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord. Alas, this people has sinned a great sin, and they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, verse 33: Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go and lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you, behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron had made. There's a lot going on here and we're going to talk about all of it. And there's some like just funny stuff like, oh, he made oh yeah I just threw it in and the calf came out I don't know what happened it wasn't me right and then there's some like really deep theological hard questions right like God just like has other people murder people it's like yeah go kill them all they don't like me like that's hard like then there's a plague on top of the murder and then there's this argument between God and Moses you're like what's going on here God seems to like change his mind because Moses talks him out of it all those are huge questions and there's Actually, a lot more in there, and we're gonna talk about all of it. Probably not gonna get it all today. So, if you're one of those that's like, wait, God's just having people killed, like, because He's mad at them, we're gonna talk about most of that next week, so don't miss next week. But this week, we're gonna start at the beginning, and we're gonna get as far as we can. Maybe we'll get to the end. I doubt it, but here we go. When the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain, this is when all this starts happening, right? So, here we have the people, they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai, okay? Mount, Moses has been called up to the top of Mount Sinai. He's been gone somewhere in the between one and 40 days. I bet it's closer to 40, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, right? At some point, we are told earlier in chapter 24 that he was up there for 40 days. So they didn't make it six weeks even before they became impatient and start doing things in the way that makes sense to them. Moses is gone, and they're like, I don't know what's happening here. You know what? Let's just start doing what we feel like doing. Now, remember, the Ten Commandments was not that long ago. If you're talking time frame here, they probably watched the ten plagues of Egypt about nine months ago, okay? They probably crossed the Red Sea about three months ago. They probably heard the Ten Commandments about one month to two months ago. Like, this is not like, yeah, it was back in 08. This is like this year that this stuff was happening. Okay? They were hearing the Ten Commandments spoken by the word of the Lord through thunderings at the bottom of the mountain less than two months ago. Now, you might think to yourself, I wouldn't do that. Like, if I heard God speak to me clearly, I wouldn't, within two months, I wouldn't start doing my own thing. You wouldn't. You wouldn't? You sure you wouldn't? Right? You wouldn't get impatient. With what's going on here, this is an ancient nomadic people with almost zero possessions wandering through the desert. And they get impatient. We're 2023 20, Americans. We're the most impatient people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. right? We believe in instant gratification more than anybody. right? If you're out in the desert, you're like, oh, this is taking forever. What are you going to do? You're in a desert and you don't own anything. Like, kick rocks, literally. I mean, draw on the sand. There's nothing to distract you. We got computers in our pockets. They can access, like, all the information in the history of the world. Like, we're going to be like, oh, this take it forever. Ooh, Insta, right? Like, we're going to be so distracted and impatient. This is unbelievable. Good luck to us when we read of the history of the people of God being impatient and we have a culture that so values impatient, that breeds impatient. In fact, I actually read a book earlier this year uh, that Dallas Willard is like uh, just a really wise guy, very influential author and, and just like observer of the Christian faith and tradition and churches and stuff. Dallas Willard's interpretation, he said that hurry is the great enemy of spirituality in our day. Hurry impatience the thing that started all of this hurry is the does that surprise any of you right like he didn't say like the liberal media is the great enemy of spiritual life he didn't say like wokeness is the great enemy he didn't say like politics is the great enemy of spiritual he didn't say what they're teaching in the public schools is the great enemy of he said hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And this is not a story about those people out there. This is a story of the people of God, remember? The people of God are the impatient ones. The people of God that know who have seen his power, who have watched him work, who supposedly know him intimately, have heard his voice. They're the ones who are like, "God, come on, man. What do you pick this up a little bit? This is taking too long. I don't understand what's happening here." And so the people, after they get impatient, gather themselves together around Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron has to handle this pressure of the crowd, which it doesn't say directly, but the way Moses handled things before he went up the mountain seems to indicate that Moses was preparing them that this would take a while. Okay, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 4, uh, Exodus chapter 24 when God called Moses up the mountain at the beginning of this the Lord said to Moses come unto the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction verse 13 so Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders wait here for us until we return to you and behold Aaron and her are with you whoever has a dispute let them go to them so that's the kind of thing you say to people when you're going to be gone for a minute right? Like, wait right here. Where? Here. Wait here, and if you have any questions, this guy and this guy, Aaron and her, are in charge. Like, you don't say that if you're just going to be gone 10 minutes. Like, this is the thing you, like, say to your kids, when you're like, wait here, and if you don't think they're going to wait there, you say it. Wait here. I meant here, like actual here. Don't leave this place. These guys are in charge if you have any questions. So that's what Moses said when he went up, kind of preparing them. This is going to be a minute, Like he knew what was coming. And so there was some indication, at least, that this was going to take a while. But this happens all the time, right? People are patient until they're not patient anymore. They started out patient. I mean, maybe they made it a month. I don't know. They probably knew it was going to be a while when Moses left. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to be fine. We'll make this. And then they waited for a bit. They did great. And then they decided, we're not waiting anymore. Which is very much how the Christian life works, right? We're like, yeah, I'm gonna follow God, and then we're like, I'm not following God anymore, right? You come out of church, you're like fired up, you're like, man, that was. I think I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna make some good choices, and then you're like, I did that for a little bit, right? It's the whole diet principle, right? You eat like four good meals, you're like, I'm fine. I could cheat, and then pretty much you're back to cheating every day, all the time, right? That's like, I had salad earlier, like these fries, they'll offset, right? That's. That's what we do with our spiritual life, too. We're like, we were patient for a month. Now we're not patient anymore, right? And the temptation is to be patient as long as it makes sense to you. When the call is to be patient until God does what he wants to do. And, and I've noticed I'm patient usually exactly as long as I feel like being patient. Anybody else notice that? Like I'm patient as long as I want to be patient. And then I don't want to be patient anymore. It's actually really hard to be patient when you don't feel like being patient. Start off patient, and then I'm not. And you know what you call someone who's partially patient? Impatient. Nobody's like, you don't get credit for getting halfway there. Like it took three hours and we blew up two hours in. It's like, uh, right? That's, That's impatience. You don't get credit for partial Patience. So Aaron says to them, verse 2, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Again, less than nine months from the plagues of Egypt, less than three months from crossing the Red Sea, eating manna off the ground, drinking water from a rock at this period of time. God is on top of the mountain. They could still see him, right? And they decide that they are going to be okay with worshiping a golden calf, which they watched Aaron make and was just earrings in their ears like hours ago. Just as a reminder, uh, probably six weeks prior to this, they heard the Ten Commandments. The first command was to have no other gods before Yahweh, right? Not not in order, but like no other gods in His presence. Okay, so so don't worship any other gods other than Yahweh. That was the first commandment. The second command was to have no idols, which is this this golden calf is like the very definition of an idol, a little engraved, like physical thing that you worship more than, than Yahweh. And then the third command is not to carry the name of Yahweh in vain. Don't bear the name. Remember that? Right. Don't take the name. Don't carry the name of Yahweh in vain. So they've broken all three of the first commandments. All three of them in one go. They're like, you want to watch two birds with one stone? How about all the birds with one stone, right? Like, they're just breaking all of these. And here's the thing. That if I were Yahweh, this would be the thing that got me. The people begin to worship the golden calf for the thing that Yahweh did. If I was God, which I'm not, you're lucky, right? Um, That would be, I'd be like, okay, you crossed the line. Right, like when you guys were like doing your thing and doing stupid stuff, fine. But when you're like, thank you for getting us out of Egypt, golden calf, I'd be like, for reals? Like if I got, oh, that would just burn me a little bit. They are giving the calf credit and worship for the thing that Yahweh did, they are worshiping the thing that they made themselves. Think of it like that. I did this thing, and I'm giving the thing I did credit for the thing God actually did in my life. Now, you may think this is outrageous, but my guess is they just didn't think to themselves, hey, we're impatient. We don't know what to do, so let's make something up. You think this is the first time they ever made a golden calf and worshiped it? it do you think that's how it went? They were like, man, this is taking forever. Let's do something new that we've never tried before. You think that's how it went? Probably not. Probably they had done this many times before. This was probably part of their life in Egypt that God was trying to break them out of that they just left nine months ago at the 10 plagues of Egypt. This was probably ingrained in how they lived their life. This was probably a habit. My guess is they've been doing this for a long time. The idolatry, the worship of other gods alongside Yahweh was probably a regular part of their lives and was exactly why God had to include it in the 10 Commandments. Do you, do you think God started out the Ten Commandments? He's like, man, what should I make them do? I know. Don't worship other gods. I know that you're not doing that, but just in case. Do you think that's why he said the Ten Commandments? Or he's like, you guys are worshiping other gods. you got to quit it. Here's the Ten Commandments. The first one is don't have any other gods before me. I bet he said that because they had that problem. So you and I read this. And we think, man, that's crazy. They made a golden calf. But this is actually just a story of them doing exactly what they've always done. We've talked about it for months, about this story of God producing a people. And part of God producing a people is removing the unhealthy practices and building healthy formational practices into the lives of his people. We've talked about that a lot. It's been a couple weeks since we've been talking about the tabernacle, but he was getting the Egypt out of his people as well as getting his people out of Egypt. And he was forming them into the people of God. So they had this idolatrous heart. This was part of their regular habits and ways they did things. That's why the Ten Commandments were written like they were because it was a problem for them. And here's what happens. They go right back to the problem. So we might not all start worshiping a golden calf when things get hard or when we get impatient. But I'm absolutely certain that we all have the thing that we all go back to every time things start getting hard. Every time we don't know what to do, we're like, oh, we're going back to that thing. Oh, swing back to that. Hey, I'm going to bring back around that thing. That's what the Bible talks about, a dog returning to its vomit. Like, that's what it describes us as. I know, you're welcome. You're like, I want to go to church and be described as a dog that eats vomit. Well... We all know that's in us, right? It's the alcohol or the pornography or the unhealthy eating habits or the the way we spend money or food, right? We start controlling things. We start manipulating the people around us. We're like, I'm getting out of control. I'm going to be super drama. And you have to. I don't think you never, right? You start doing that type of thing, right? We don't like how long this is taking. So we just go shopping and make ourselves feel better. We don't like how things are going, so we check out and distract ourselves with some content on our phone or on our TV. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to deal with it right now. We don't want to handle the responsibilities, so we ignore the situation and blame someone else. We play the victim. It's not my fault. They didn't do this. And they didn't do this. So I don't have to. Right? These are the things that we always come back to, just like idolatry and calf worship was what they always came back to. The golden calf in this story looks a lot like really unhealthy patterns and habits in our own lives that we consistently go back to. And the Lord is calling us to repent and turn away from. Remember when we talked about the tabernacle last week? and We said, what does it look like to meet with God? And one of the main things is let the wicked forsake his way. You know what it is for me? I raise my voice when I don't like how things are going. Taking too long. Hey, what's going on in there? We're leaving. I told you 10 o'clock. How many times do I have to apologize to my wife and kids for that? Like a billion? I'll probably do it this week again. That sucks. Right, are you kidding me? Right, you know what's humbling is when your three-year-old is like, are you kidding me? She's just repeating her dad. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's not that funny when I'm the one that does it. We read the story and we go, man, why would you ever do that? This is what they've always done. And they're just going back to it again. And my point is don't let the unfamiliar of the golden calf make this story unfamiliar to you. Don't read this and be like, I'd never make a golden calf. Keep it moving. This is just what people do. They go back to what they've always done instead of what they know they should be doing. They, they don't turn away from the destructive ways of living and being formed into new ways of living because they're the people of God. Like being formed into new ways, it doesn't happen by accident. It's a process and it's a mess. You're gonna make a huge mess for yourself. You're going to have consequences, I promise. As God is forming you and building repentance and confession in your life and setting you on a new path, it's going to be a mess. That's why confession and repentance is part of the process of meeting with God. It's such a huge part of what prayer is. It's because this is what everybody does. We go back to the thing we know we shouldn't do. We go back to the thing that we've always done. Look at what happens in verse five. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to drink, sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, Aaron watches all this, right? Aaron made the golden calf. He watches the people begin to worship the golden calf and then Aaron declares a feast to Yahweh. He's like, yeah, this is a feast to Yahweh. Let's make this about the God of the Bible. So alongside the golden calf now, there is now altar that Aaron builds with sacrifices to Yahweh. And the whole thing is being described as a feast feast to Yahweh. So in this one scene, they are both giving credit to a golden calf for the thing that Yahweh did, and now they are holding to feast to Yahweh in a way that he despises. Like, they get them going and coming. Like, they screw this up in every way they can screw this up. They give credit to something that's not God, and then they Give God credit in a way that He hates. It'd kind of be like, um, I'm gonna use Ben. Hopefully, this Ben's assistant pastor here runs our small groups with his wife Kayla, right? And our small groups have blossomed and grown over the last couple of years, completely because of God working His Spirit through Ben and Kayla and how the effort they've put into them. It's been awesome. If I took credit for that, I was like, Hey guys, I'm just letting you know I am killing it with the small group leadership. Right? If you guys knew that Ben and Kayla were putting in the effort and, and stuff behind the scenes and I was taking credit for it, you'd be a little annoyed, right? You'd be like, oh, come on guys, right? So I'm like, hey guys, and to celebrate me and Ben and how amazing small groups are, we're gonna go do drugs and gamble at the casino. You'd be like, wait. You're taking credit for what other people are doing, and now that you're going to celebrate those people by doing things those people know are not good ideas? That's what's happening here. Like They're taking credit for the thing God has done, and then they're like, we're going to celebrate God by getting smashed. Hallelujah! There's some stuff in the language here that, uh, that seems to point to the idea that this gets... Uh, out of control in a sexual direction, right? And an eating and uh, drunkenness direction. But this is what is happening. The people are getting it wrong literally in every way they could get it wrong. Every single way they could get it wrong in this scenario. They're worshiping something that is not God and then they're worshiping Yahweh, who is God, in ways that anger him. They're not being formed by the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the word of God, and they are claiming their old ways of living are actually in worship to Yahweh. You know, later on in your Bible, the Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, will call himself the chief of sinners. And I think it's probably because of a realization of things like this, that we, the people of God, are capable of messing this up in literally every possible way there is to mess this up. Like we can get this wrong, like I said earlier, going and coming. We can do this. We'll fall short every way. We'll make a mess in every way that you can make a mess. We'll be idolaters and heretics at the same exact time, which is crazy because an idolater is worshiping something that isn't God. And a heretic is attributing something incorrect to God. So if you're an idolater, you think just go, go worship something that's not God. But it's like we're going to worship something that's not God and we're going to worship the real God, but in a messed up way. Like we do that at the same time, right? It's crazy that we do this. We do these contradiction things all the time. We'll be legalists and compromisers at the exact same moment. We'll be ungrateful for what we do have and complain about what we don't have at the exact same moment. We'll waste what we do have and spend our lives pursuing more as if it's worth giving our whole lives to. We'll say we don't believe in God and be angry for him, angry with him for what he's allowed in our lives at the same time. Like Those things don't make sense. I could go on and on, but the point of the depth of our brokenness is incredible. And and I don't say that to make you feel terrible this morning. I say that so you get a clear picture of what's going on in the heart of the people of God. This is not everybody outside who's a sinner and rotten and never turned to God, okay? The depth of our selfishness and pride and self-exaltation and judgment of others and idolatrous hearts, like in the people of God, it's crazy. I'll finish here with this idea. How do you think they got here? How do you think they got to where such a mess, like so many consequences, like such a rock? Like, how did they mess this up so bad? What was the decision that they had to make to get here? You think it was like really insidious? Like they sat around and was like, what's the worst thing we could do? Like, how can we just mess this up like no other? Like, how can we just hurt God like he wouldn't? Is that, is that what you think they did? They had a powwow and it was like, who has the worst idea? Let's go with that. That's not what they did. And to be honest, that's never how people make terrible decisions in life. That's not how people build terrible lives for themselves. This is all a result of people just doing what they feel like doing. That's how they got there. It like, makes sense to me. It's taking a little long for me. I got an idea. Let's just fix it ourselves. Right, this isn't some crazy, insidious, like, oh, I would, like, the You don't have to be a Satan worshiper to get this far off. I think some people think, like, oh, I'm a good person. Like, I'm fine. I'm, middle, I'm not, like, trying to hurt anybody. You, that's not the point. In fact, later on, there's a story in your Bible, and and we get into a time called the period of the judges, and literally in the history of the people of God, there wasn't a worse time ever. Like, it was awful. The sexual immorality was off the charts. Like, the abuse of other people, the hurt that people were causing towards one another. It was just crazy. It was awful. Like, people were, like, it was awful. It was a terrible time to be part of the people of God. And you know what the description is of that time in your Bible? It says they decided they were going to worship Satan instead of God. So things got really bad. That's not what it says. Right? Like they were going to use the NIV instead of the New King James, so it got really bad. And that's not what it says either. It says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's it. Like, that's how, how sideways we can get. We just are like, you know what? I'll do what I feel like doing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. How many of you know that's right? How many of you have experienced consequences, not because you were trying to worship Satan or like kill somebody or what you just did. I'm not just going to do what I feel like doing. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. The thing I said earlier about me raising my voice in my kids, I wasn't like, you know what, how can I make my kids hate me? I was just like, you know what, I would like this to go faster, so I'm going to start yelling. That's how simple it is. And I don't say that to make you feel bad this morning. I say that to reveal how much we need the God of the Bible to extend mercy and grace and abundantly pardon like he promises to Like, we need to realize that this lives in us, so we fall at his knees and say, please help, because that's what he's offering this morning. Right? These are his people that he has brought out for his purposes. We're going to talk about next week. He's not going to forsake them, even though he kind of wants to. He's going to bring them in. He's going to lead them through. But they have made a mess for themselves, and they need to know that about themselves so they can fall on his grace and mercy and ask for forgiveness. We're going to spend some time singing this morning. Worship team, you can come on up. We got a couple more songs to sing. And I would just encourage you to think through this type of story. What are the things that I just, yeah, I just do what I feel like doing? What kind of messes have I made for myself? Because I just don't do what I know I should do, just fall back into the same habit. What is the Lord putting on my heart this morning? Why did he bring me here to hear this message? Is there something that God wants to speak to me? All right, we talked about meeting with God being the most important thing that would happen to you at church. This is a time for that to happen. Maybe read through, maybe sing with us, maybe pray in your heart, like, Lord, what do you want to speak to me this morning?